Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. We are in 2022. We made it. New year, new us, but also same us. (laughs) I am joined uh, this week by Pardeep Katri. How's it going, Pardeep? Good, good. Same me. Um, (laughs) We're we're here. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. We're sort of this one. This is going to be a little bit more free flowing. We're just going to sort of have a chat. Um, This was probably the slowest week right in in of the year for for nwsl i think i think everybody sort of closed up shop for the holiday took a a well-deserved week off us included right um not a lot of movement in nwsl so we're just gonna sort of talk generally i mean we're in the off season so it's going to be some off the field stuff and get a vibe for how we're feeling going into into the new year it's going to be a big year a, a really important one um this is it's kind of funny the the league when they were sort of announcing, I think that they were closing the office for a little bit. Um, they called they called 2022 the 10th anniversary season, which is kind of true, but also kind of not true. Um, the 10th year will be 2023 because the league was founded in 2013. This would have been the 10th season, but there wasn't a season in 2020. So <laughs> it is the scheduled <laughs> 10th anniversary year, but not in actuality. It's I kind of chuckled at that. But um, so I guess that's the appropriate weirdness, right? Going. Yeah. Into- I mean, well, time already has no meaning. So yes, exactly. At least the so if they say it's the 10th this. anniversary, fine. OK, um, sure. They can uh, do. Why not just do the 10th anniversary for like three years? Why not? Yeah, right. Um, so. Some some things that have happened though, and we'll start with this maybe, <clears throat> is we saw, you know, we saw the Washington Spirit uh, announce that they had hired Chris Ward on permanently, um, going into into twenty twenty two, and we are we've already discussed some of the hiring happening in in Louisville. Louisville hired their new coach, um, a couple of teams that still need to do so right, and. We got what Kansas city needs to hire a coach. Chicago needs to hire a coach. Uh, I think that might be it. We might be down. We got a couple hirings in there. Um, yeah. And so you put a very good piece out on, on the site about hiring practices. Cause this is going to be a year of a lot of new faces as it should be. And the league, we're now moving into this sort of nebulous territory of the league trying to quote unquote, do things better. And so maybe just sort of recap what you wrote about and give me your general impression on where things are at on, on the league level, in the front office level, in terms of hiring and making sure that they're hiring the right people. Yeah. Um, so for me, it sort of started with noticing that teams were being a little bit more upfront with, you know, certain things like we ran background checks on the person we just hired and players were involved and I was like this level of detail was surprising to me I mean there's a general NWSL transparency issue that we can talk about probably every single day but regardless I'll I'll focus on this story that I wrote and so it made me wonder is this a new thing or are they just sharing old things now and it turns out there are a lot of new things um the the NWSL itself set up a more comprehensive background check process for coaching candidates, um, uh, assistant coaches, GMs, and team presidents. Uh, 
they set this up at the end of October, obviously at the end of September is when the Paul Riley uh, report came out from the athletic Lisa Baird left at the beginning of October. So at the end of October, the NWSL is under new leadership and now they have this new background check uh, process. They check, they check a lot of different things. They check criminal records. They check, um, they check social media, internet media searches. Um, they check the safe sport database. They check, um, also off the top of my head, they check for bribery and corruption. And there's other stuff that I list in the piece too. Uh, so there's a lot of that. And then it seems like certain teams have taken initiative themselves and updated their own internal processes. Um, Louisville, for example, they were they were a club that were actually willing to answer some questions on this. And, you know, they said that they interviewed a lot of former players and other ex-colleagues of Kim Bjorkegren, for example, who is their new coach. Chicago, in a press release, obviously they haven't hired anybody to succeed Roy Dames yet, but they were upfront about the fact that players are involved in a search committee for uh, a new coach, as well as a sports psychologist. Um, I believe the Portland Thorns also said that players were involved in the process. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of updates to the hiring practices, which I think some of them are not unprecedented. I'm sure across different, not just even sports leagues, but probably different businesses, intense background checks are run. But um, I think involving the players and maybe even a sports psychologist is probably a little bit of new ground in uh, in the sports world. And it's, it's a really interesting first step to, uh, to take. And it, uh, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. When you say, when you said you weren't sure if they were new things or if they were old things, you're kind of talking about maybe the difference between new processes and simply sort of the PR spinning of old processes. Is that kind of what you meant by yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, for example, it was something like, Oh, mentioning the background checks did they run background checks before are the background checks they run now different you know i have to, uh, you know just basically sort of figuring out what was new and what wasn't and it turned out almost all of the stuff that they were mentioning the league and the clubs was more or less new yeah um and all of that does seem positive i mean i think obviously what we've sort of come up against when you do have processes that include player input and imp- include extensive background checks is, you know, you don't, you still don't know until the person gets into the environment. Right. And so I think that the biggest thing for me, and we're this, we're, this is going to be sort of a more general conversation, right. About stuff that we want to see in 2022. Um, I think it's great that they've got players involved. I think that that's really important. I mean, but one of the thorny things about that, no pun intended, is that, <laughs> is that if you have a, a small group of players involved that isn't representative of the whole team, or we've also seen some of these issues where core members of a squad feel good about a coach and, and the more fringe players of a squad don't. Um, but there's only so much you can do before you get the person into the environment, right? And so I think for me, moving into sort of what I I would like to see as an extension of what I think is a healthy amount of change in the hiring process is um, it has to do probably with beginning sort of being written into the contracts of these coaches that we've seen some hesitancy with teams 
uh, removing coaches from bad situations or uh, not publicizing why someone was let go, probably through fear of a, a contractual lawsuit. And so you would hope that maybe through the lens of 2021 teams, when they have a person come in, they say, hey, we think you're a good person. We think you're a good fit. Um, if you cross the line, we have the right to fire you immediately. And we have the right to tell people about it. And I think that that is what I would hope is written into some of these contracts and probably all of them, honestly, you hopefully. would hope, right? But morality clauses are not that uncommon. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so it does, it is this sort of element of not only do you, do you need the right to, to remove people from that situation, but also the right to, um, tell people about it, that transparency element as well. Cause I don't think that it's common practice in coaching at this moment to do that. I think that it's more just, you get them out of your environment and then you say, you're not our problem anymore. Um, yeah. so that would be my hope. I think with, with all of these, with all of these hires, uh, and then, you know, from there, I think it's still a little bit of a wait and see, right? Cause the same people sort of making hiring decisions are the ones who made bad hiring decisions in the past. And maybe this is a good pivot, so talking about things that need to get figured out this year, one of those things is ownership resolutions, right? And you talked about player input in the piece. And I think that one, we can talk a little bit now about the Washington Post story that came out. I think it was this week about sort of what's still happening with the Washington spirit, which is that I think that 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 piece sort of just highlighted that what people from the outside think is happening is really happening, which is that Steve Baldwin wants to accept a $10 million loss of evaluation because he doesn't like the the person who is offering the higher bid. Um, the other investors of the team obviously have an issue with that because it's not why. good. It's not good for the, for the objective evaluation of the team. Um, but one piece in that story was that Todd, I think his name's Todd Bowley. I am. Forgive me if I get the pronunciation wrong. He met with players and it didn't go great. And so there's this element as well of the players are involved here, right? The, the players are the ones who asked Steve Baldwin to sell to, to Michelle, Michelle Kang. And they are part of the, they are, they were one of the parties trying to be sold on this new buyer and they weren't really, sold. Um, so maybe my first question is, first of all, sh how, in how involved should players be in ownership disputes while maintaining their sanity, you know, but <laughs> well, I mean, maintaining their sanity is probably dependent on each player, right? Right. That's true. Um, but it all gets a little bit intertwined and complicated, right? When you have this many interested parties, we got players, we got fans, we've got media, we've got other owners all sort of swirling around this situation. Um, and obviously Steve Baldwin is the person at the middle of it, but um, these kinds of things need to get resolved this year. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's a really good question about how much player involvement there should be in these types of processes. I mean, just at what point is it? I I want to be clear. I think that it's good that the players are involved in this particular situation, and I think what Steve Baldwin is doing is ridiculous. But yeah, at, at what point it does? Is it just too many people right in, involved in this sort of thing? I mean, 
I have to imagine it depends on a case by case basis. Right. And it seems like the reason it feels messy is because the person at the center of the storm here is making it messy. You know, the players want Michelle Kang to have Steve Baldwin shares. The other investors want Michelle Kang to have Steve Baldwin shares. Michelle Kang wants Michelle Kang to have Steve Baldwin shares. It actually seems like everybody who is involved, even though there are so many different people involved, agree. Right. And Steve Baldwin just is not in agreement. And it's so much so to the point, it's like you said, it's ridiculous that he's willing to accept 10 million less dollars for it. Right. Even though literally everybody else is in agreement on something. So I don't think player involvement is necessarily an issue here. Um, you know, power struggles are power struggles. And right now it players in this league probably don't have enough mm-hmm. and i guess we're going to probably spend at the very least much of this year if not many years or the next several years trying to figure uh, see how these different teams navigate that but i mean right. i feel like at the spirit at least it's relatively clear if that if everybody is already in agreement and then the thing that they want to happen happens then then maybe right Right. in theory it might not be fine in terms of a power struggle but you know it seems like at least to smooth things over there is one thing that could happen well right and i think we're also seeing you know the league doesn't want to step in um i assume because they don't want to get sued they they don't want to set a precedent of forcing baldwin out based on his uh conduct as an owner because that's when you get into the gray areas of the other conduct of the other owners yeah and so they i think they're afraid to do that quite frankly um and then but you but the thing is and and this is very silly but this is just so american right which is that the thing that's going to get steve baldwin to sell to michelle kang will be if the other investors say we're gonna sue you forever if you don't and because you have gone past your fiduciary duty to the team by such a ridiculous dollar amount that the court will uphold that you need to, you need to like personally pay (laughs) the difference here. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for a resolution. I think it has to, and, and we have seen kind of these soft ultimatums from the league as well. They say, you have to say you're going to sell. And so Steve Baldwin says he's going to sell, but he doesn't say who, and there's this idea that it should have happened by the end of the year. It didn't happen by the end of the year. It's all of this sort of stuff. And I think this is maybe a good pivot into the next thing that, that has to happen. And this is all tied into. It's tied into player involvement. It's tied into ownership resolutions. Because even if you don't have ownership disputes amongst owners at other clubs, or at least ones that we don't know about, we're seeing some friction between ownership and, and the fans, right? And even yeah. probably behind the scenes ownership and players that, that they just have not chosen to publicize at this time. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you the big question party. Number okay. one big question. If there's no CBA by February 1st, do NWSL players report to preseason? Goodness, that's a big question. It's um, a big question, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. 
I would be curious to know what players are thinking about that right now. Yeah. I feel that maybe at this moment, they've never had more power, more leverage in these situations. I don't know if they will ever have this type of leverage again. But you have to also understand why players, you know, especially not the top earners, would be interested in reporting to camp. It is... I mean, we've seen this sort of thing play out, not necessarily to these extremes, but across sports history a lot of times. I mean, I'm remembering right now off the top of my head how a few times it felt like MLS players might not show up to preseason. Mm-hmm. And in the end, they did anyway. And I think it was because the lower wage earners didn't feel comfortable enough to go on strike. Right. It's the unfortunate position that these players find themselves in because of the working conditions of the league. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess that's sort of, that sort of does tie into all of the different financial ways the NWSL is set up because it actively discourages players from something like this, you know, striking or just not showing up to camp. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It it will, I have to imagine be something that the players are thinking a lot about, but I, I could see it going either way. But I mean, to me at the end of the day, I think the one thing is that they've never had this kind of leverage. I don't know when they'll get it back if they ever can. Well, I think there's a lot of trust in the players association right now. I think that in the year that these players sort of went through, they had to really trust that the players association reps and leadership in the players association and the PA actually hired a a new person, right? Sydney Miramontez uh, joined, joined the players association in a full-time capacity. So they're, they're bulking up their staffing as well. They have the emergency fund that they opened, which again, like you, you look at that and you think, okay, this is, this is great. They want to uh, supplement uh, financial hardship. They want to make mental health um, services, easily accessible to players but you think in the back of your head you're like well if the players strike there's that fund right yes. and maybe they say hey fans can you help us help help sustain us through labor negotiations and i'm not saying that that's what it's for but it could be used for that right right and um, i mean it also goes back to that the leverage i'm talking about right and, right like if they decide hey we want to strike they already have the fund set up that's one thing But I think they also then can get creative with how they make that fund public knowledge. You know, obviously, NWSL fans know about it. Obviously, people that follow the NWSL very closely know about it. Right. I think we've seen that the NWSL has, look, over the course of 2021, it has it has earned a lot of media attention, not making the league look good in any way. Mm-hmm. But to me, that also speaks of another opportunity if they say, hey, we're going to strike and we're going to now take this already established story that people already heard about and know about and maybe see if we can bolster our case more again. Yeah. You know, again, I mean, to me, it. I think a lot about the leverage of the situation. I think the players have a lot in the court of public opinion. I think people will want, I think people will think about what the players are doing if they 
get word of it, you know? Yeah, I also think this is sort of like what we're talking about uh, in, in the context of ownership or or even hiring, right? Some of the hiring has taken a little while. Um, or even, you know, Chicago Local 134, they had that ultimatum that they set for, for Arnon Whistler to sell his shares. And then they made an update this week about how they're sort of extending that because they're going to be speaking to Whistler. Um, this is the league of monitoring the situation, right? To the point where that's become like a joke, right? They're monitoring the situation. That's what they would say a lot. And the, the league really struggles to get things done. And in sort of some very basic ways that doesn't even necessarily have to do with what they want, or I'm sure they understand that it's in the league's best interest to get this collective bargaining agreement done before the beginning of the season. I I worry about their capacity to do so because that kind of organizational sort of, I don't know the best way to put it. It's understaffing. It's, it's coming from a lot of different angles. I'm sure it's, it's some stubbornness on, on a number of different sides, it's just more like it's the first, it's the second year, we're, uh, second of the year. We're recording this on January 2nd. And I'm sure we'll get updates, but it really feels like they have a month to make significant progress or announce significant progress, or we're moving into a very uncertain time. Um, yeah. Rightfully I think, so. I yeah. also want to say that. I think the players should absolutely capitalize on this moment. This is their chance. They deserve it. They've been through hell. Um, and sometimes you have to put a little bit of pressure on in order to get things done. And so um, it could be an interesting, I'm, we had this great period of player movement that was very exciting. We got to see these sort of California teams come in, uh, get a little bit more fully formed. That was still sort of business as usual on a lot of good faith from players. I think um, it's about to get real though. I, yeah. and, and I, and I don't know exactly what happens next, but I'm hopeful. Right. I'm hopeful. Right. I, I mean, to circle back on something you were saying a little earlier about how the league isn't quite, I mean, they're always monitoring the situation, but maybe not doing much else or it feels like from the outside. Right. I think what I find interesting and what to think uh, something I've been thinking about throughout the entire of this recording so far is that the, league so far has done a very bad job of for lack of a better word distancing itself from the owners in the league i understand that they all work together and there's a lot of power the ownership groups have but technically the nwsl is in some ways a separate entity you know the Interim CEO Marla Messing is technically not an owner. She's technically not part of that group. But we were reminded this year, we were reminded this year how if owners want to stay, the person that they can fire is the person in that position, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And it's sort of, it feels right now that we're not sure if there is separation between what a commissioner or an interim CEO can do, where how that contrasts from what the board of governors, which is the ownership groups can do and who really has, if there's any genuine power an interim CEO or a commissioner has on a board of governors, if there's really any autonomy from that outside of maybe some, I mean, you you know, outside of, some day-to-day housekeeping stuff. Right. 
that is something I think the NWSL needs to clear up. I mean, I guess in theory, they could clear up by saying, oh, yeah, there is no autonomy here. It's really the board of governors and whoever is all being decided by committee. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, they do need to establish that. And I think it would probably benefit whoever is quote unquote running the NWSL. You know, at this point, it's Marla Messing, but it could be somebody else down the road. If there is autonomy there to probably establish that, to make right. that clear. Yeah. Again, if we're talking about leverage, this person probably has a certain amount. I would I would think so. I think there's probably a way to be creative with that. Yeah, no, I agree with that wholeheartedly, right? Do, do the owners want a strong commissioner or do they want an administrator, right? Um, and I think, again, it's, it's where I'm talking about. I'm not even assuming. I am not even assuming. Uh, bad faith. I'm not even assuming uh, that they don't want to get this done. It's more just the capacity to do so. And if you are kicking things around to a million different people all the time, because the people who only actually have, um, what's the word, decision-making power are still just these owners, that's a hard process. That's a hard process. And again, just with trust lost and all of that sort of stuff, I think there's just a lot going on there. Let's 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 finish this on a more more, more so- soccer focus, right? Because these are obvious, right? If you have a laundry list of things that need to get taken care of, ownership disputes, coaching hires, uh, CBA, CBA, CBA begins and ends with the collective bargaining agreement with the NWSL Players Association, right? But we got sort of a schedule skeleton, right? We have the Challenge Cups coming first. We know that. We're going to have the regular season be slightly shorter this year, and it's going to end at the end of October rather than than at the end of November. Are, are there any particular soccer stories you're looking forward to this year, Pardeep? we got two California teams coming in. we got some very shaken up clubs. Are we going to see a Washington spirit repeat? Could happen, I think. They're, they're, they're looking strong. Like what, what are some of the soccer storylines for you that you're excited about in, in 2022? Um, the California teams are the obvious one in the NWSL. Uh, what I really, one thing I really enjoyed about the 2021 season is that it felt like just about all of the teams were very competitive. And I hope for the same for the California teams. It seems like we've had a decent amount of prep. Um, they're building squads with great players on it. So hopefully they can be competitive too right away. I mean, you know, how high or how low they can go, we'll see. But Again, just competitive is my baseline for them. That's what I would like to see. Um, I'd like to see that for all of the teams, obviously. But one thing I'm really looking forward to in 2022 is the fact that it seems like there are a lot of teams that are more or less starting from scratch or, you know, they've got projects going on. The spirit look like kind of the complete thing. We sort of know them now. I'm sure there will be lots of tinkering involved and whatever, but they're, they feel like a known quantity at this point, whereas a lot of the other teams don't. And so I hope that uncertainty is the foundation of what could be an unpredictable season, but in a really fun way. I hope that we are surprised in the right ways by several teams, and I hope, you know, it would, you know, because there's so many different projects between Portland and, you know, Gotham and Orlando. That's, that's just off the top of my head. One would hope for very fun 
preseason too. I mean, well, I was going to say, I mean, playoffs. I, my, my I mean the postseason. Yeah, my bold prediction perhaps is that the Challenge Cup is going to be rough. Um, just because <laughs> I, I don't love the preseason Challenge Cup, I'll be honest. I don't love that the Challenge Cup is a little bit longer. It's fine. I would rather it become right an international break sort of a competition where you have depth players get development. And instead, it's just a preseason tournament again. Um, I... Uh, I think that every new project takes time and I just think we might see some really interesting stuff uh, during the challenge cup. But the point of that, the ultimate goal hopefully is that by the time you reach the middle of the season, and again, with a couple few with, with more teams and a couple fewer games per team, um, truly the balanced schedule, right? Where everybody's playing each other twice, one home and one away. I'm hopeful that we'll have better rested teams. We'll have fewer injuries. We'll have less, hopefully like obviously hopefully less emotional burnout because let's just hope that players don't have to carry the things they had to carry last year um, or the year before, you know, it, that, you know, it's not just a 2021 thing, but, um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that one of the things I'm not sure we quite got at the end of the 2021 season was a number of match weeks where it felt like everyone was kind of hitting at the same time. I think we had, and that's why it was so competitive. I think we had some surges from some teams, some falling off a cliff from some teams, and it all sort of moved. Everyone was moving at a different pace. And I think maybe what I would love is I love when it feels like maybe around August and there's no international, well, there's no uh, international tournament that the U S will be playing in or Canada will be playing. in, so that might be helpful, but obviously the euros, but that meshing of playing style and chemistry that we see later in the season. I'm not sure we entirely got that in 2021. And I would love to see that where you have a number of weeks where you're like, everyone is really sort of hitting at the same time. And we're getting some really good games out of this. Um, I love that feeling. That's, that's my favorite feeling in the whole world. So um, yeah, that would be awesome. I would love that. So we're going to do way too early predictions, way too early predictions (laughs) here. Um, So who's, who's the best setup to win the challenge cup? Best setup to win the challenge cup, the spirit. Yeah, spirit, right? Yeah, that's like pretty. I think, I think this yeah. right, like yeah. a recency bias, right? Sure, but I think just between they've had like a very a, stable off season, though. Their, exactly, their group is, is very intact. Exactly, um, which is not true for most, if not all, of the other teams. Right, I I, I agree. I, I'll go with I'll go with spirit. Um, all right, who's best up? Who's best set up for the regular season grind? Do you think? Maybe the spirit again. <laughs> I would say spirit. You know. The rain, the rain. Yeah, of but deep, I think yeah. well, they have they have some of their top line people they have to replace, right? But if you just think about roster size, I feel like the rain are maybe set up well, and hopefully they'll have the same coach for the whole year. Um, right, so, Laura but, Harvey has already stabilized them to a point where I mean they were a they were a really good team last year. They're just deep. I yeah. think that that's the biggest thing with with the regular season. Um, yeah, I mean, I think sort of the some of the usual. We might be surprised. Might be the usual suspects. I think at the top of the table, we might see rain, we might see Portland, we might see Washington. It's all just about roster construction, um, and those are some of the I think the deeper teams right now. Um, who's best set up to win? You make so you make it to the six team postseason. Which team? Which team can you see yourself getting getting hot at the end? I know mine. Mm, hot at the end. This is a hard one. I know it's like way, way too early prediction. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what makes it fun though. Yeah. Um, 
Rain, I think, are set up to be consistent throughout. Um, I think Portland could figure out their stuff towards the end. Spirit, I can't bet against right now. Because they're they're the known quantity. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to yeah. Yeah, those are those are the ones I'll go for right now. I'm gonna say Angel do you have, City. Do you have a very, I was about to say you definitely have one of the expansion teams. Here, yeah, I think Angel City. I think Angel City is the kind of team where they could have some real rough moments at the beginning of the year, obviously. Um, but and I also think, and I've perhaps said this before here or somewhere else. I think what they're asking Freya Coom to pull off is kind of hard. So it, yeah. a lot will depend on her ability to have that sort of effective playing style. I, I respect that. But if they can make it work. I think they could be, I think they could be a playoff team that you would not want to play personally. Um, yeah. But that's if they make it work, if they make it work. Right. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It could, I, I mean, and that's I, the whole I, thing too, where we're going to have to have some patience with it. If, if it seems like it's a disaster early on the, the year is long, so we'll see. But yeah, um, yeah I, I, I think that I, or I hope maybe that's more of a hope. I hope angel city is, is competitive. I think it's good for the league if they are. Um, oh, for sure. But I mean, I have like a personal rule of thumb never to bet on expansion. Teams. I know. I know. But maybe, I maybe never, it's a, you know, maybe it's an equivalent to to what we saw with LAFC and MLS, where I'm not saying they're going to be really good for years, but they might have a really good first season. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think really good just depends. Yeah. But yeah. No, well, I mean, like me, make make the playoffs is maybe all. Right. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, six teams. It's true. It's true. There, there are spots if you're peaking up really at the end. Forget. Yeah. I mean, the right time is the end, really. Why not? Unless right. they dig themselves into a really serious hole at the beginning. Yes. No, this is <laughs> so funny. We're talking about stuff that we don't know anything about because we have no That's clue. That's what makes it fun. But yeah. All right. Um, all right. Last one on the on the player level. Who's your... Well, actually, no. Okay. I have two. Sorry. What team... What team do you think is going to have a down year? Houston. Houston could. Yeah, they they will see. Right. Yeah. I they just lost a I lot mean, of momentum not making the playoffs last year. And, and now yeah. they don't have Christy Mewis. Like, yeah, we'll we'll definitely see how it goes with them. Yeah. I mean, they do have a lot of allocation money, so I guess right. we'll see what they do with that. But Houston's my bet right now. Yeah. Um, I am very Orlando curious, but I can't quite get a read on what they're going to be. Right. I'm just Can, very curious. I just feel, I think you're right. I'm not sure Orlando, it's what they're doing right now has to do with being competitive right now this year. Um, it's about building for the future. So, but I don't know. Sometimes that works. I mean, the spirit, that was the basis of the spirit last year and they won the whole thing. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I'm fascinated by Orlando. I hope that what we get from Orlando is just, very sound and yeah. even if they can't execute perfectly all the time because they are quite young you can sort of see the the future i mean the, i think the real for me the real question mark is also chicago i yes. think chicago chicago has like 18 players right now they don't have a coach um you don't want to bet against that fully intact midfield right but right they're just going to look so different it's hard to hard to gauge so right that's maybe like the biggest project of them all right right now. Well, outside true. of the expansion teams, maybe, but right. Um, I mean, we haven't mentioned Gotham yet either. They've they've taken some pretty serious bets so far this off season. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, we saw a little bit out of England that 
obviously Chrissy Mewis trained a little bit with Tottenham Hotspur, but nothing officially has been done there. It's a question of whether or not I think Tottenham wants to spend the money. Um, so Gotham might be getting Christy Mewis right away. Um, she seemed really pretty um, amenable to that deal. So I think her availability will be important. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. So, so that was my question of just, yeah, those are, I think are the biggest question marks. And then, all right. What is, who's your sleeper breakout player of 2022? Ooh, hmm. Breakout player of 2022. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. There are some like really obvious candidates. I think, you know what? You know what I was thinking when you were talking about Angel City mm-hmm. and you said if it works, they could be a team that nobody wants to play. And I think if it works, that means Jasmine Spencer will probably, it might have a really great year. I think she would be a very, I feel like if, if Angel City's working out, that means she's going to have a good year. You know, yeah. I feel like those two things would go together. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, yeah, on the same similar track, right? I think um, getting Vanessa Giel in mm-hmm. uh, from overseas was really good of Angel City. She's the kind of player that had a fabulous Olympics, not really known stateside professionally so much. Um, she's someone I think who could really, people would be like, whoa, that's a good defender, you know, especially if we think that angel city might be playing in a three back, which I think is possible. So um, that's one for me for sure. Uh, and then I would love for me official to have a very good first year. Yeah. About rookies. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll yeah. see. It's, it's funny, right? Because the the college draft was very sort of midfielder and defender focus uh, as has been sort of the building of these expansion sides. So it's just sort of seeing who gets playing time and, and how that all shakes out. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, all right, great. So maybe final, final little discussion before we go. When, when talking about ownership resolution, and we talked about this a little bit, I believe, before the end of the year, just in sort of some of the events of the expansion draft week and the college draft week. It seems like we're at this tipping point with fans a little bit, where I think there are a lot of longtime NWSL fans who are going into 2022 on a real, maybe like wait and see, we'll see if it's better, see if it feels better. Um, I think there's some caution going into this year with the understanding that I don't think you can really have a year like 2021 and expect everybody to stick around. Um, and so I guess maybe my, my final question for you, Pardeep, is if you're an NWSL fan, what for you, and this is, this is just for you personally, I'm not asking you to like speak for every single fan, but um, <laughs> what would make you start to feel a little bit better about supporting this league? What would, what would make you feel like you don't have to kind of have that pit of pit in your stomach, you know, bad feeling while supporting players? What, what would start to make you feel a little bit better? Is it just sort of that list that we talked about top of show? Like what for you, what's your, what's your personal line with some of this? I think the key here will be embracing a culture of transparency. You know, I think 
some of the things that need to be outlined are who has power where and what kind of power. Um, I think certain, I think actually probably every power broker in this league needs to be very clear about what their goals and intentions are. Some of them will not be clear. And even if they are clear, will not have good things to say. Um, But I think the first thing is just knowing that. So then at the very least, the NWSL can identify its problems. I think the next thing it has to do then is, again, accept this culture of open communication, admit what problems it has, and start actively telling people what it's doing to solve those problems. They need to not just tell players, they need to tell every single person they can find. And that's a really easy thing to do if they want to do it. And I think if they start embracing that open communication and you figure out who the good actors and the bad actors are, then you can sort of adjust your thinking appropriately. Things aren't when things aren't shrouded in mystery anymore, it clears up quite a bit of the fog. And when you can clear up the fog, you'll probably at least start to find certain positives in the situation, you know? Um, if the NWSL, like I said, I think they need to both identify the problems and start telling people what they're going to do to fix them. If they start doing that and they start getting, forget even just good PR, which seems to be the the league. I feel like the league and the teams are still PR focused and less so player focused. I think they need to realize that maybe the best PR, if if they can't get out of the PR mindset, that the best PR is being transparent with its players, trying to make the players' lives trying not to ruin the players' lives, basically. And if the players start noticing it and the players start openly saying it, that will heal a lot of wounds. But they need to... I really just think the first step is being honest with themselves and each other and everybody in this entire NWSL ecosystem. And that's a really hard thing to do. It's something that I think a lot of people maybe are not committed to doing, but I think it is, I think that is the ideal way forward. And I, I, I guess I gave you an answer that maybe is unattainable. I hope it isn't. I desperately hope it is not. Yeah. But, I mean, right there. That's sort of the fear, right? Um, yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I think a lot, to be honest, on the player side, I think a lot gets, uh, forgiven once you get a CBA in place, right? That's what the contract is for. Um, so you don't, it doesn't, the whole point of the contract is it doesn't matter <laughs> if your owners are, are good people or not. It's that's why you put that in writing is so they can't take advantage of you. Um, but I think, yeah, I think for me, the thing here's, here's my thought. And this is sort of, again, sort of a nebulous concept, but I think the thing that really beat fans down a little bit this year was it was a mixture of like unforced errors 
and also just sort of not knowing where the next bad story was going to come from. And then it would drop and it would just sort of be this, this roller coaster of, okay, we're doing normal soccer stuff. And then suddenly there's this horrible story or we hear this horrible thing or even little unforced errors, right. Partnering with a cryptocurrency thing, you know, that, that, that doesn't really value align with, with a lot of hardcore NWSL fans, you know, and, and that I, my wish is maybe just then with these processes, this moving forward, I don't think you can change the past, right? The past has already happened, but going forward, I would like for ownership, league office, anybody to just think about who they're affecting with their decisions. I think it's just basically it. Right. And yeah. When, when some of these things happen, you think, how did this go through a committee of, of nu- numerous people and where was their mindset that they didn't consider that this would be hurtful to fans or that this would be something that was very unpopular? You know, there's different levels right. to it, right? Um, and so for me, certainly as a media member, but also as someone who cares, right, cares about the league, I think it's that. I think transparency for sure. And I think transparency actually helps ward some of that stuff off. But you cannot keep having this culture of just bad news coming through. And if news that your team isn't recognizing is bad is hurtful to people. Once it becomes public, you got to reevaluate. I think your process of decision-making essentially 100%. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I, maybe I'll, I'll end with this. I was looking at uh, a number, a number of people have obviously left NWSL roles this year. And I'm not just talking about coaches, uh, I was looking at teamwork.com. I was looking at the hiring that the league is doing and there's some promising stuff. I mean, the robot, the the kind of hiring processes are not easy themselves, but you have a number of teams hiring HR people. You have a number of teams hiring um, player, you know, that sort of player experience slash player operations manager position that is relatively new to the league. Um, I think it just comes with bringing more people in and, and yeah, like you said, being transparent about, about what happens next. So um, yeah, lots, lots to talk about in the future, I'm sure, but I think we've pretty well exhausted it today. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Pardeep, for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you to Blue Wire Podcast, our distributors. Back in the new year, new stuff. Uh, we made it. Hopefully we can leave the past in the past and have a bright future. Uh, everyone have a good week and we will talk to you next time.